Thank you, Amy and Becca and our tenor Christopher and Antonio for leading us today as we listen to the text of Isaiah in song, the same, song, the same text I'll be preaching, and I'll be reading that within the sermon, but parts of this you will have heard twice, and Handel uh, is a very good preacher through music. So before we hear the word of the Lord today, let us pray together. Holy Spirit, open our ears today to the good news of Jesus Christ and show us how you want each of us to respond in our own sense and experience of exile. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who was exiled for our sake. Amen. I'll begin with a story. It was Christmas 2008, and my husband Justin and I were visiting my sister and her husband, who were working at an international school in Southeast Asia. And so, during the Christmas holiday, we traveled to the island of Borneo to stay at a resort. And that sounds so fancy, doesn't it? But it was not. It was a barely three-star resort. Um, the the swim-up bar was permanently closed, and the paths were crumbling, and it was super hot and humid, but we couldn't go in the ocean because it was so polluted and gray and full of jellyfish. Now, now this might have been okay in January, but it was Christmas Day. And hearing the song White Christmas coming out of the speaker behind a sad plastic Christmas tree was for me very unnerving as a Westerner. And um, also I was sick. And I was also feeling kind of crazy because I had this experience of a new superpower in which I could smell smells no one else could smell. And they were bad smells. And they were high and sticky and sweet and they made me feel nauseous. So it was Christmas day and I was hot and I couldn't swim in the ocean and I I was deeply filled with homesickness for the Midwest. I wanted to come back to where there was the possibility of a white Christmas and to where I could go to church. I longed, I longed so much that day to be home. And that's how it is for exiles, longing to be home, except it's way, way worse because it's not a voluntary vacation on the island of Borneo. This Advent, our sermon series is called Advent in Exile. And you see, we've we've decorated quite a bit differently than usual with found and reclaimed objects. And, And the idea is that when you're exiled, you make do with what you have. You do your best. And maybe you grabbed on your way out the most precious items, maybe the nativity set and this pyramid and the brass candlesticks, but that's it. Everything else you have to find and make yourself. And that's what you do when you have to celebrate and things are strange. This is an experience of exile. And exile is a huge theme in the Bible. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but it begins... At the beginning, with the story of Adam and Eve, after they choose their way and not God's way, and they are exiled, sent out of the garden and from the presence of God. And then, 
The story of Abraham, who's told by God to leave his family and his homeland. He's a kind of exile too. There's a lot of little stories of exile throughout, but the big exile, the big exile story takes place after the time of the kings. Now, last November, Pastor Lars preached about this, how in 920 BC, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the north called Israel and the south called Judah. And the northern kingdom rebels against the Lord pretty quickly. They worship other gods, and as a consequence, they are, con they are conquered by Assyria in 722 BC. But the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they, they hold out a little bit longer, but they too ultimately rebel, compelled by all the local gods that surround them, and they're so easy to worship. And so then, in 587 BC, the newest empire on this block, Babylon, conquers the southern kingdom. They destroy Solomon's temple and take many Israelites away from their homeland, leading them off in chains to be slaves and leaving only the poorest behind. They, they take people away as exiles partly to re-educate them as citizens of Babylon so that they lose their ethnic and their religious identity. The Hebrew word for exile literally means stripped. They're stripped. They're stripped of their land, their culture, and the presence of God in the temple. They're stripped of their ability and the opportunity to hear scripture read aloud in, at the temple. And, and this experience is deeply traumatic. There's a lostness, a lost feeling on the outside, geographically, and on the inside. No home, no identity, no power, nothing. This experience is described in the whole book of Lamentations. So we read in chapter 1, Judah has gone into exile with servitude and hard service. She now lives among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Things are bad in exile. Another passage in chapter 2. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile vomit is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my people, because infants and babes faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city. This is exile. And this is the experience and people that Isaiah is addressing in the passage for today in Isaiah 40, which we heard the first five verses of us it sung for us just a moment ago. This is the poet who is sick as he observes the faces of the hungry children. This is the woman who has pawned off her last family bracelet for a small barley loaf, not even enough for one day, these people. This isn't a bad holiday to visit your sister. This isn't living voluntarily in another country or living in a country that you feel has changed. No, because this time there is no return ticket. There is no last train out. And this is the audience that Isaiah is speaking to. 
And Isaiah knows, and the exiles know too, that the reason that they're exiled has nothing to do with bad luck. It's because they failed to keep their covenant, their promises to God. They broke their promise and worshiped other gods. And God had said way back in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29 that bad things, and that's kind of an understatement if you read the passage, would happen to them if they did not obey the Lord by observing his commandments and decrees. And so this exile is a consequence for their behavior. They deserve it. And it is not just a geographic and a physical exile. That's actually secondary. What's significant about the land isn't the land. It's that God dwells there with his people. And so these people no longer dwell in the presence of God. They're in spiritual exile. Because when the people left Judea, God left the temple. The prophet Ezekiel witnessed it. He said, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. Before their home had been in and near the presence of God, but no longer. And so they lament in the Psalms, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We can't. And it's into this void that Isaiah speaks. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. This is a poem. And it begins not by saying, you're responsible for the consequences of your choices, which is true, and which would have been one way to remind the hearers that this experience is their just desserts. No. This poem begins with comfort by showing the character of God. This is a God who comforts those, even those who are rightly receiving the consequences for their sin. Comfort, comfort, the text says two times. And and when things in your Hebrew Bible, your Old Testament are repeated twice, that's like underlining. It's really important. So comfort, comfort. This is real and tender, and this is the heart of God. And these words here that tell us about God comforting, they're not big, fancy, multisyllabic words. They're they're homey words. They're words like the quilt your grandmother made. This is the same comfort used to offer someone grieving the death of a family member comfort. Comfort, God says. And notice he doesn't say it to the people. He doesn't say, comfort, comfort the people, says a disengaged God to some minion. No, God God says it as a loving father, comfort my people. Because yes, Israel has sinned, but God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this same God is comforting, loving his people, my people, reminding them that as they have suffered for their sin, they no longer need to fear the consequences. This is the first word to the exiles. Comfort from God. You're done. You're done. Your exile is coming to an end because God is going to end it because he's coming. A voice cries out. 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, Maybe this sounds like a highway is being built out of exile, a road out of this horrible place, a road home, but that is not it. This isn't a path for us. This is a path for God. This is God's way, God's coming, and he needs a road fit for a king. So call the road crew and get going. Fill up the valleys and blast the mountains so that this can be the straightest, smoothest, easiest road ever through the wilderness because God is going to show up again and God is going to save. Just like God showed up in the wilderness last time, a pillar of cloud and fire, a glorious fire entering the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord is going to show up again. And not just to those in exile, to everyone. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people will see it together. Everyone will see it. It's true. God has said it. Get ready because we need a rescuer. On our own, we cannot do it. And here's why. This is the next part. A voice says, cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? Here's what he should cry. All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. This is a reminder of who we are. We are nothing compared to God. There's God, and then there's people that are like grass. Exiles, permanent residents, all of us grass. Yes, flowers are beautiful. Grass is beautiful, but, but it lives, and, and then it dies eight, nine months max for annuals. And some flowers live shorter, and us too. 80, 90 years if we're lucky, that's it. We live We die. We're mortal, not eternal. Because eternity can only be found in God alone. And this is the word of God that's coming to these hopeless exiles. This is their forever God. This is the God whose breath, which here is the same word that enlivened Adam, whose breath blows over those piles of bones in Ezekiel 37. Let that breath of God, the breath that makes the word that stands forever, breathe on you like the parent whispering into the ear of their child, this breath awakens and brings life, eternal life. And because of this good news, God's people that are here here addressed as Jerusalem are invited to proclaim who God is and what God is going to do. Get you up. To a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. 
Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Jerusalem, Zion, the people who have been exiled, it's time for you to say, here is your God. Announce his coming on that wide, smooth road, and he's coming with might, and he's coming with compassion. He's strong and mighty, but he's also compassionate. This is the shepherd who picks up the little lamb, carrying it to its mother. And this is a picture of your God, exiles. Do you see him coming? Do you yearn for his breath to enliven you? Do you long to cry out, here is your God, because it will happen. Exile isn't forever. Take comfort. It's not forever. This message is one we need to hear at the end of 2020. Publicly, it's been a real bad year. I do hope that personally, you have had a good year with your family and your work, with your studies, students. I know everyone hasn't. Some have lost jobs or work opportunities. Some have lost family members, and not just to COVID, right? Some are filled with anxiety and fear that they can't shake. And maybe as I've shared about this biblical theme of exile, you're thinking, yeah, I get it. I I kind of feel like an exile this year. This resonates. And, And maybe this is giving you some words for that, and that's good. But maybe others of you are like, Joy likes to talk about dark things. And I really miss the fancy Christmas decorations. But the truth is, my friends, these these decorations, which a group of us put together um, on on Friday, making out of rags and um, paper and tin cans, they represent the truth about our hearts right now. And if this is hard for you to recognize, I invite you to come and just talk to me about it. Because the reality is, the reality is, biblically, that no matter where you live or when you live, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible describes you as an exile. The passage Pastor Lars and I read at the beginning together was from 1 Peter, where Peter, Jesus' disciple and friend, writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles. Well, the people who are receiving this letter, first of all, they're not Jewish. They're not back in the 6th century BC. This is over 700 years later. They're Gentiles. They're at different churches, most likely in their own hometowns. But Peter addresses them as exiles because he recognizes that the kingdom of the world is not the kingdom of God. Now, most of us are citizens or residents of the United States, but that is not our primary citizenship. Because when you decide to follow Jesus, you enter the kingdom of God. You have a new identity as citizens of God's kingdom. And so we live in this tension of of living in the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of Hinsdale or whatever suburb you live in, 
and the kingdom of 2020, but belonging to the kingdom of God. But like the Hebrew exiles 2,500 years ago, our exile is only temporary. And even though it might feel like it, 2020 is not a worse exile year than any other year. We just might feel it more closely. But it is temporary. And, and God calls us, actually, to live as exiles, no matter what year it is. And this is what Jesus' followers have done for thousands of years. I'm going to read some from a very old letter written in the second or third century. An unknown Christian wrote this letter trying to explain the faith to a man named Diognetus. And it describes how Christians live in a world that is not their true home. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as aliens. As citizens, they share all things with others, and yet endure all things as foreigners. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. And this is one type of exile, where we live in the world, citizens of whatever country we live in, but true citizens, true citizens of God's kingdom, which is sometimes called heaven. Some of us may live in this kind of exile, and in this letter, and actually in the entire New Testament, we are offered examples and instruction and wisdom for how to live as an exile wherever and whenever we are. But there is another type of exile, and that underscores this text for today. And this is exile from God because of sin. It's a broken relationship with God, like Adam and Eve sent out in exile because their relationship with God was broken. Like God's kingdom people sent out of Jerusalem because they had broken their promises. And so this is exile because of sin, a broken relationship with God. The exile God's people experienced wasn't just geographic, it's spiritual. That lost the ability to commune with God because God's presence had left. And it's this exile that Jesus came to address. Jesus, who's also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The presence of God coming back, not just to the Hebrew people, but to all people in all places and in all times, including but not limited to 2020. And so perhaps this year, You have sensed a greater longing in your heart. Maybe you haven't named it yet. Maybe you've longed for a sense of home. You've longed for things to be right. You've longed for justice. You've longed for truth. You've longed for wise and gentle leaders. You have longed to be comforted as your shoulders dragged under the weight of the world. You don't have to carry this weight. You actually can't. And and this exile, my friends, doesn't have to go on. It can end, and it does end, because God offers us a return from exile in Jesus, the one who the straight path was made for, Jesus, the good shepherd who carries his sheep and leads them. This Advent season, let Jesus lead you out of your sin exile, 
because without Jesus, exile is permanent. The grass of the field. But it doesn't have to be. Comfort, comfort my people, says Jesus. Speak to the people that their penalty is paid. I paid it, Jesus said. Here is your God. And this God, through the Holy Spirit, continues to show up in the church and through the work that Jesus has called us to do. Remember that that bad Christmas I was telling you about from 2008? Well, that night, uh, my sister and her husband and my husband Justin and I wanted to do something Christmassy, so we gathered on this patio where we could kind of see the polluted ocean, and it was dark. Um, But my brother-in-law has a beautiful bass voice, and my sister sings alto, and so we began harmonizing together, singing Christmas carols. We sang, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And as we sang, several groups of people walked by. One was a larger family group, it looked like, and And the woman started waving her arms as if she were conducting us. And I gestured for them to come over. And and they did. And the seven of us, seven of them sat down with us. And we continued singing Joy to the World. They sang in Swedish. We sang in English. We sang other carols, too, in Swedish and in English. And we learned that they were also Christ followers. And as we worshiped together that night in the dark on a very bad Christmas day in the sad, hot, broken-down resort on the island of Borneo, the glory of the Lord was revealed to all people in our midst. It was revealed in our participation as citizens first of God's kingdom, not the United States, not Sweden, not Malaysia, but our unity through and in Christ. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, not has come, not just will come, but is come now, the glory of the Lord. And it's this presence through Jesus, this this presence of Jesus through the Spirit that makes any exile possible. And this is true comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. Amen. There has been a lot of words and a lot of music today. I want, us, I want to invite you to observe a time with me of silent meditation, of listening to the Spirit who is present with us now speak to you. What is your exile? What is your place of exile right now? God wants to meet you there. So during this time, maybe you want to look at Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, which I preached on, or just... Listen and meditate. Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, meet me in my own exile. God is faithful, and he will do it.